Hello and welcome. You are listening to the teaching ministry of Coastal Oaks Church in Rockport, Texas. It is our hope that you will be encouraged and that your desire to follow Jesus Christ will be challenged and strengthened as you listen to this podcast. For more information on location, service times, and what to expect on your next visit, go to coastaloakschurch.org. Now, grab your Bible and study along with us as you listen. All right, if you have your Bible open to the book of Acts, chapter 2, look forward to gathering around the table in a few moments, but before we come to the Lord's table together, let's dig into his word. For the last several years, I don't know if you watch TV as much as I do, but uh, especially around the Super Bowl, you know, it's not really about the football game, it's about what? The commercials. So Snickers started a a series of commercials a couple of years ago, and they run them throughout the year now. Uh, But I really enjoy watching those Snickers commercials because uh, it always presents someone who's not quite themselves until they have that Snickers. One of my favorite one, uh, really my favorite one, uh, opens with this scene. It's a group of weekend warriors. They're out in the park. They're a little bit sweaty, and they're lining up playing a game of football. And... The ball is snapped, and and you expect to see Mike running a 10-yard out, but instead of seeing Mike as he really is, you see Betty White. Not exactly what you were expecting to see. And, And Mike, as Betty White, is running this pattern, and the quarterback throws the ball to Mike or Betty White, and he makes an attempt at catching it, but then gets hit really hard and gets laid out. And poor Betty White, or Mike, uh, looks pathetic in his effort to play football that morning. Now they come back to the huddle, and the guys start getting on to him and riding him hard. He's like, man, you've been dragging this whole game. What's going on? And then from the background, you hear this voice saying, Mike, Mike. And so Mike turns around, and it's his girlfriend, I guess, and she says, here, take a bite of this. And so he takes a bite of the Snickers bar, and suddenly he turns from Betty White back to Mike, and he's ready to play football. And the catch line of the commercial is, you're not uh, not you when you're, uh, excuse me, you're not you when you're hungry, eat a Snickers. You're not you when you're hungry, eat a Snickers. Great commercials, great tagline, that if you eat a Snickers, you'll suddenly turn into the real you. It reveals a truth about us, though, especially as the church in a life that is surrendered to Christ. Christian, church, you're not you until you're filled up. You're not you until you're filled up with the Holy Spirit. Just like Mike wasn't Mike until he ate the Snickers, the church is not the church until the Holy Spirit arrived at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. The presence of the Holy Spirit was designed to bring about a radical change in the lives of the disciples and even still today, when a sinner repents and comes to Christ and is filled up with the Holy Spirit in that moment. So if you have your Bible, follow along as I read in Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 1. When the day of Pentecost had arrived, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like that of a violent rushing wind came from heaven, and it filled the whole house where they were staying. 
They saw tongues like flames of fire that separated and rested on each one of them. Then they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in different tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were Jews staying in Jerusalem, devout people from every nation under heaven. When this sound occurred, a crowd came together and was confused because each one heard them speaking in his own language. They were astounded and amazed, saying, Look, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? How is it that each one of us can hear them in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, those who live in Mesopotamia and Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the magnificent acts of God in our own tongues. They were all astounded and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But for some, some sneered and said, they are are drunk on new wine. Let's pray this morning. Good morning, Lord. Some of us are running on empty this morning. Others are dealing with difficult situations in life and have been for some time. Father, some of us are walking on cloud nine this morning. But Lord, we offer you our cup and we seek you to fill it up. Father, what we know not, teach us. What we have not, give us. And what we are not, make us for Christ's sake. In Jesus' name, amen. So this day probably started out as any other day. For the disciples. It was not going to end up the same. The day of Pentecost arrived. Nine days had passed since the ascension. This is the tenth day. No doubt these disciples had become increasingly more aware every day of their need to be filled up. Kind of made mention of this last week that In some regards, ministry was not going to change for the disciples, but in many ways it was. And one of those ways is that Jesus' presence was not going to be with them every day like he had been for the last three years. So now that Jesus is gone, they have no doubt began to feel that emptiness set in. The disciples knew the filling of Christ's presence and now They feel the emptiness. But as they're sitting there, perhaps even in their emptiness, they've they've gathered. They're not just sitting there, but they've gathered. They've prayed. We talked about that last week, how they prayed together in that room. Not just the 11, now 12 disciples, but also the 120, those that have been gathered with them. They've been praying together. They've replaced Judas with Matthias. But in their minds... They hear the truth of Jesus. They recall what he taught them. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So what is that next step going to look like for them? How is that 
apartness going to be togetherness again. And then comes this day of Pentecost. This day known as Pentecost is known that way because it is the 50th day after Passover. It's not known, because, it's not known as Pentecost because it's the day the Holy Spirit came. It's known as Pentecost because Pente means 50, 50 days after Passover. It was described and prescribed in the Old Testament as a day, a festival. It was also known as the Feast of Weeks or the Feast of First Fruits. The farmers would begin to gather their wheat and bring that wheat and their bread to sacrifice. It was also a great day of sacrifice for all of Israel. So it was a special day already. It was a day, again, of worship. It was a day of sacrifice. A day of sacrifice that honored the harvest. That's why I think there's such a connection to this day of Pentecost. Because on this day, there would be a harvest, or there will be a harvest of 3,000 plus souls into the kingdom of God, into the church. So when we think of Pentecost, we understand as we get into this that Pentecost was a dramatic and a unique moment in the history of redemption. There's never been another day quite like the day of Pentecost. When Luke was writing this and writing scripture and capturing these stories for us, he often compares all the only things that he knows. He'll use those as comparisons to help us understand the great works of God in the history of the church. And when he writes, a sound like that of a violent rushing wind came from heaven. That's not just a gentle breeze off the water. It's a violent rushing wind. The only thing I can compare that to would be that of a hurricane, a, con- a constant blowing, or, or maybe even more like a tornado that's only there for a little while, but you always hear the description, that of a freight train coming through, a violent rushing wind. It's not just a gentle breeze that's waving the wind chimes on the back porch, violent rushing wind. And it's a great sound that grabbed everyone's attention. It's not just grabbing those in the room, but it's grabbing Jerusalem's attention. Something is happening. So let's think about that wind. You know, when we think about the wind, there are other places in Scripture where the wind is used as a descriptor, and it plays an important role. In the prophet Elijah, he wanted to speak with God in 1 Kings chapter 19. He's the lone prophet for the Lord, and he wants to speak to the Lord and hear from the Lord. There, there is a great wind described. That great wind in 1 Kings 19 is described as shattering the cliffs. But God was not in that wind. Then there was the earthquake and the fire, but God was not in the earthquake or the fire. In this moment, God was in a soft whisper. You'll remember Ezekiel and the dry bones. Love that story. What was it that brought those bones to life? It was the Spirit of God. How is the Spirit of God described? The wind. It is the Spirit of God working in and through that wind in Ezekiel 37 that brings life. You'll remember God asked Ezekiel, Son of man, can these bones live? And Ezekiel says, Only you know, God, only you. 
And then God demonstrated his power to Ezekiel. The wind is not seen, but the effects of the wind are. The effects of the wind can, 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 can always be seen. In fact, it's a never-ending supply. We have the windmills turning around here because of the wind. We have wind chimes. We see the oak trees around us blowing in the breeze. The wind is always around us, even though we cannot see it. And just like that, we don't see the Holy Spirit, but we can see the evidence of his work. We can see the evidence of him in our lives. But all of that to say, what we find at Pentecost is the same as true in the rest of Scripture, that only the Holy Spirit brings new life to a dead man in his sin. The Holy Spirit is the one who generates or regenerates life. And Luke wants you to know that it's God's life-giving, never-a-dull-moment spirit that has come on the scene in Acts chapter 2 to arrest these apostles, to arrest their life, and to change them from the inside out, and to equip them and to fill them to fulfill the ministry that Jesus had called them to. Notice in verse 4, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. It's not just Peter, though his sermon is the one that's captured. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Luke also describes the Spirit of God by fire. They heard the sound of the wind. They saw tongues like flames of fire. Now also in Scripture, it's always good to interpret Scripture with Scripture. In Scripture, fire had always meant or marked the presence of God. We see that played out in different times all throughout Scripture. And through John the Baptist, God had promised baptism with fire, and that's happening here in Acts chapter 2. But in the Old Testament, we see it with Moses in the burning bush in Exodus chapter 3. You'll remember that story. Moses is tending sheep, and he's uh, there in the mountains in, in Midian, and he, he sees this bush on fire, and yet he's perplexed because the bush is not being consumed. And then God speaks to him out of that bush and asks him to take off his sandals for the ground where he's at is holy ground. And that's where God calls Moses to free his people, to lead his people out of captivity into the promised land. On Mount Sinai, as God has given the law in Exodus 24, the appearance, it says in verse 17 of Exodus 24, the appearance of the Lord's glory to the Israelites was like a consuming fire on the mountaintop. At that moment, all of Israel was around the mountain. They could look up and see the presence of God like a consuming fire, like it was consuming the entire mountain. But also in the Old Testament, there's moments like Malachi chapter 3 where God is described as a refiner's fire, where the presence of God burns away the undesirable elements in our life. That refiner's fire is a, a pure fire of silver, Malachi says. So there it's not a fire that consumes, like a forest fire that just burns wherever it wants indiscriminately, but this fire is contained and targeted to a specific level of heat that will burn out the impurities 
so that the impurities can be removed and what's left is just a precious, pure metal. So we see that God's presence, again, is marked by fire. Tongues of fire. Now, this isn't just an earthly wind, but a heavenly and spirit-filled wind. And it's not just tongues of fire, but it's God's presence. And rather than just one big flame, it's multiple flames hanging out over each disciple. And that marks for us that the presence of God is available to each and every believer in Jesus. It's not just for a people group, but it's for each one of us who call on Jesus as Lord. And the suddenness of this moment. I mean, what marks this day against all the other days? It's the day that God decided to move. They didn't know it was going to happen. I don't think they woke up today and said, oh boy, today's the day. Let's get it done. Come on, God, right? I, I don't, we don't see that in Scripture. And Jesus didn't tell them when the Spirit was coming, right? He just said, you need to go pray and wait for his coming. So the suddenness of the moment clearly points us to the fact that God is working out his plan for redemption in his timing and in his sovereignty. So it was dramatic, it was unique. It's also universal in its reach. This day is universal in its reach as devout people from every nation under heaven were present. Look at verses five again. Luke writes, now there were Jews staying in Jerusalem, devout people from every nation under heaven. And when the sound occurred, a crowd came together and they were confused because each one heard them speaking in his own language. It wasn't just the disciples that heard the wind, that heard the commotion. People began to gather because they heard this sound occur. They didn't know. They just heard a sound and it, something drew them. No doubt that's the Spirit of God drawing them to this moment, to this point. And as they gathered, they heard the disciples speaking, each one in his own language. Now these weren't just These weren't just ordinary folks. These were devout. They were godly. That means they were practicing Judaism. They were practicing Jews. They were devout. Their hearts were ready to hear what was about to be said. But they were not from Jerusalem. In between the Testaments, there's lots of struggle back and forth between nations, and eventually Rome will control Jerusalem. But through all of that, people are scattered. Diaspora, it's not just an exile, but it's a scattering of people. So you got Jews coming from every which direction and all of the, the nations where they're coming from, the different uh, sides, it's, it's truly from a, a wide range of people groups and lands that they're coming from, but they're in Jerusalem for this day of Pentecost, this day of observance, this day of worship. But they were not born and raised in Jerusalem, but they are Jews. So they speak a lot of different languages. This is the amazing side of this, that these uneducated men are speaking languages that they did not know, but they are known languages. And Luke says that the crowd was astounded and amazed at what they are hearing because they're understanding what they're saying. In verses 9 and 11, 
We have uh, this international flair given, all of the, the different list of nations and people groups. That's, that's astounding. To think that God could take 12 men, uneducated, ordinary men, and equip them for such a time as this to speak a language that they know nothing of. Now, we Baptists, we can get jittery when we start talking about the Holy Spirit, but when we start, start talking about speaking in tongues, we can be as honorary as a cat at bath time. We get really, really agitated about speaking in tongues, but it is the gift of tongues in this moment at Pentecost to the list of people groups that give the gospel its universal reach. And Jesus commanded them to take the gospel and make disciples of all the nations, and it began right here in Jerusalem on this day. Pentecost was universal in its reach. Pentecost is also, uh, excuse me, Pentecost is also polarizing. It's polarizing in its effect on the crowd as they search for an explanation. What is this we are hearing? How could this be? Look at verse 11. Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the magnificent acts of God in our own tongues. They're astounded and perplexed, verse 12 says, saying to one another, what does it mean? Some sneered and said, they're drunk on new wine. Well, some folks are amazed at what they heard. Some are perplexed. Some are confused. And some are just throwing accusations. We would too had we'd been there. No one had ever seen anything like this take place. I've never seen anything like this take place. And they're saying, aren't these guys Galileans? It's not a slam against being a Galilean. It's a statement of fact. They are, but they're not speaking their language. They're speaking something different. They're, they're not educated that way. It doesn't make sense. We, we hear the content. The content actually is not necessarily the gospel yet, but it's the magnificent acts of God. Perhaps they're going through just like Jesus did with the two men on the road to Emmaus. He took them back to the Old Testament and walked from Moses to the time, through the time of the prophets. Perhaps that's what they're doing. Maybe they're reliving the history of Israel, the magnificent acts of God. Maybe they went all the way back to creation. We don't exactly know where they went, but we know that they're praising God and speaking of his marvelous acts, magnificent acts. Still others brush it off as drunkenness and mock them for their drunkenness. Peter will explain it. They're not drunk. It's only 9 o'clock in the morning. Wait till the 11 o'clock service. <laughs> I've never met a drunk that could suddenly speak another language. I've met a drunk who could not speak his own language. But I've never met a drunk who could speak a different language suddenly. But you can see the division start to, start to form. That's exactly what Jesus said would happen. Those who heard the truth and want to know more, and then those who are modern and don't give in to the sideshow prophets and brush them off and go on their own way in their own self-sufficiency. The polarizing nature of this moment simply points exactly what Jesus said about the gospel itself. It's going to cause a division. In Luke chapter 12, Jesus said, do you think that I came to here to bring peace on earth? I tell you, no, I tell you, but rather division. 
From now on, five in one household will be divided, three against two, two against three. They will be divided, father against son, son against father, mother against daughter, daughter against mother, mother mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law, and daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. Jesus is talking about himself. He's talking about the power of the gospel, and this is what's going to happen. Some will believe in Jesus, and some will not. Some will welcome the Spirit's presence, and others will resist his presence. And this is the moment when the gospel begins through the power of the Holy Spirit to reorient the disciples' lives and their allegiances. Demands, he demands that we will submit our whole life to the King of Kings, this gospel does, this Jesus does. We have to submit every part of us to him, and that will stir up a hornet's nest. It stirs up a hornet's nest, even in the church, that the gospel separates Christianity from every other world religion. When we preach the exclusiveness of Christ, that causes a problem for the world. Pentecost was polarizing. But then there's this question at the end of verse 12. What does this mean? Peter is going to preach in verse 14, one of the greatest sermons ever preached. We'll get there next week. But he's going to explain it for us. But Jesus promised, here's what it means today. Jesus promised his disciples that they would be filled with the Holy Spirit. Pentecost is the fulfillment of that promise. The Holy Spirit is poured out on the apostles. It's poured out on the church. And the church is born to the glory of God. The Holy Spirit's presence empowered the apostles for gospel ministry. Here's how. He gifted them with the ability to preach the gospel. He gifted them with the ability to proclaim the magnificent acts of God. Don't you remember how many times the disciples were just as confused by the parables of Jesus as the crowd was? They never quite understood everything there was to understand about Jesus, even though they spent every single day with him. But now something has changed. Something changed that they're able to speak in a language they don't know, and that they're able to proclaim the magnificent acts of God. When they couldn't even complete a sentence about the magnificent acts of God before this moment. That is what the Holy Spirit has done. He has gifted them with the ability to proclaim the gospel. He also gave them the courage to stand and do that. Accusations are already being made about them, that they're standing there and they're drunk on new wine. They'll face more intense persecution than that, no doubt, but he has given them courage and boldness to proclaim the name of Jesus in the city that just nailed Jesus to the cross 50 days ago. And then we'll see next week that Peter is going to preach Peter's going to preach the power of the cross. And 3,000 souls will be added in one day. 
But just a few weeks prior to this, Peter was denying Jesus when he was on trial. And now he'll stand before the crowd representing Jesus to the nations. What is that change? That change is a man filled with the Holy Spirit, gifted to proclaim the very name that he had denied. Friend, God's Spirit fuels God's mission by empowering weak people. That's what Pentecost means for us today. God's Spirit fuels God's mission by empowering weak people. You remember what Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 12? If not, I'll remind you. He says, a thorn was given to me. And I pleaded with the Lord three times that it would leave me. And God's response, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is perfected in weakness. Listen. We can turn on the 24-hour news cycle and find a power struggle somewhere. We want power. We want power in our jobs. We want power when it's cold outside, right? We, we want some people to not have power. Ericot, uh, yeah, you know what I'm saying? Like, we want power. We want control. We've got red states, blue states, purple states. We got all kinds of flags for every different occasion. We got come and take it flags. We got rainbow flags. We got back to blue flags. We got BLM flags. We got a flag for everything. I don't think we've ever been as fractured as a nation as we are today. We've got white power, black power, red power, green power. We got all kinds of ways and we can try to find power and struggle for it. Church. I've never seen the church as hungry for political power as I have in the last 10 years. Church, we have to remember in light of Pentecost, what we need is God's power. God's spirit fuels God's mission. There is no other fuel for us. God's spirit fuels God's mission by empowering weak people. We are not the strong who come to Jesus so that we can be stronger. We are not the strong who present ourselves to to Jesus so that he accepts us. But we are the weak who find that his strength is perfect. As the Holy Spirit created the church and in turn the church begins to proclaim the gospel to the world by the power which he gives them. That is our mission and our task and our source of power. And we are filled today with the same Holy Spirit as the day of Pentecost. What happened to the apostles and the church on this day happens every single day of our life. When we come to faith in Christ, we receive the Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit is the one who brings about that entire process of salvation. And he doesn't leave us alone, but he's the one who convicts. He's the one who calls. He's the one who regenerates. He saved us, Paul wrote Titus, not by works of righteousness that we had done, but according to his mercy, through the washing of regeneration and renewal by the Holy Spirit. Jesus told Nicodemus, truly I tell you, unless someone is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. 
The Spirit of God marks the beginning of the Christian life. He's the one that comes in and begins to change you. You don't belong to Christ without his Spirit in you. The Spirit is is the power for new life. And he begins and continues that lifelong process of change as we seek daily to become more like Christ. Remember what Paul wrote in Philippians 1.6, he who began a good work in you will see it through to completion. How is that possible? Because the Holy Spirit is the one who is at work. And it is the Holy Spirit who unites the church in Christ Jesus. God's Spirit fuels God's mission by empowering weak people. And the way that we stay in touch with the Spirit of God is to keep an attitude of emptiness. Keeping an attitude of emptiness brings with it fullness. Daily, we need to say, I need Jesus. When we come to Christ Jesus in faith, we come to know God's consistent work in our life, which frees us from the idea that we can live this life for Christ on our own. Frees us from the idea that Jesus is just a get-out-of-jail-free card. But if we will come to him and acknowledge that our inadequacy, our weakness, then we are filled with his spirit. And his spirit is adequate. His spirit is sufficient. He is faithful. And he will keep us walking the talk. But it requires humility and confession. Just like Paul wrote in Philippians 3, I'm not there yet, but I press on. It might mean that we ask the Spirit of God to blow the winds across these old bones and breathe life into us again. Do you know that I'm not a sailor, I'm not a mariner at all, but I had to look this up. Like, what happened when they didn't have wind in the sails? It was called a tide over. T-I-D-E, over. When there was no wind to fill the sails, sailors would float with the tide until the wind returned. A tide over. And I wonder, are we just, are we okay being carried along by the tide of popular opinion and pop culture? Or would we submit ourselves once again to Jesus and ask the wind to fill our sails? You see, Jesus said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Are you hungry? Are you thirsty? Let's pray.